Welcome world to Nobody's a Nobody podcast with me, Mike McVeigh. This is the podcast where I interview people I find absolutely fascinating, and I believe you will too if you give them a chance. This week's guest is Palace Johnson. Palace wears many hats as she is a professional actress, improviser, she's an instructor, and an education director, as well as other things. Now, a few people have been wondering about Jarvik's and the Hot Dog Song of the Week segment. Jarvix is currently invested in lots of projects right now, both with Make Oklahoma Weirder and other things. But our goal is to have another hot dog song song <laughs> sooner rather than later. I did get to catch up with Jarvix last week at a Rat Fink and Sean Reedy concert at the Plaza Walls. And you might remember both of them as former hot dog presenters. It was pretty cool to listen to them live as well as um, just kind of being involved and stuff. Um, but I don't want you to worry. Jarvix will be back eventually. Hear it from Palace about enrolling your teenager at Oklahoma City Improv. There's teen always a teen class. class. Yes, please. Ages 12 to 17, everyone, uh, you know, sign up your your niece, your nephew, your daughter, your son, your next door neighbor. Uh, it's a really great class, especially, um, you know, for teens that need a community, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a it's a place where you can be yourself and it's a safe space and you can explore and meet new people and become more confident in yourself. It's a really great, it's, it's magic is what it is. I really think it is. Teen improv is like so magical. That's my favorite to teach is teens. If you can enroll yourself or your teen into classes now at oklahomacityimprov.com. That's okcimprov.com. Palace is a charming person. And our conversation covers everything from being a teacher librarian to talking about Will Wheaton and Felicia Day. It is always fun to talk to brilliant people, so enjoy this brilliant conversation with Palace. All right, so Palace Johnson, the amazing one, the education director, the one who's represented by Magna Talent Agency. Um, this is all found on your LinkedIn profile. So, again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the original reason why I wanted to interview you had more to do with a job that you're not currently in anymore. <laughs> and that's being a librarian, because I think librarians are like some of the most awesome people in the world because you get to facilitate literature for the masses or hopefully you get to facilitate literature for the masses. So if you're okay, I'd like to talk a little bit about your librarian history before we go into all the boring stuff about how famous you are and everything like that. <laughs> sure. Uh, so how did you get into being a librarian before you got out of being a librarian? So I was a teacher for my first career. And in Oklahoma, teachers do not make very much money. And I found uh, that I was working long hours and wasn't really able to have a personal life outside of my career. And I was talking to one of my friends that I had known since we were very young And she told me, hey, I'm a librarian and we make like twice as much as teachers. Why don't you just become a librarian? You're already a literature teacher. So what's, you know, an extra step? Get your master's, become a librarian. And so I did. And you were there for approximately six years, six and a half years, somewhere around that? Yeah. And what was like the most fascinating part of being a librarian from your side? Just telling people to shh or... (laughs) <laughs> um, like standing behind people that are doing inappropriate things is like, I'm going to tell your mother, you know, like what's, what's the greatest thing about being a librarian? So um, the reason I really enjoyed being a librarian was actually the like program planning, the events. Um, I pretty much got to have fun every day with people, teaching them new things, creating crafts, um, giving recommendations for books. It was definitely a a thing that I really, really loved about being a librarian. I also enjoyed making displays for books. Um, That was like a really great creative outlet uh, for the job because I mean, there's a lot of like normal like job parts of being a librarian but like the creative outlets were what really uh kind of was an amazing drive for me now did you ever get to work in a library um, where card catalog system was a bigger deal or were was everything already computerized by the time you got really into it and stuff everything was pretty much already on the computer uh i mean there's some like 
special collections um, that are categorized differently um, that kind of required some some extra um, <laughs> I guess card cataloging systems on top of our normal databases. But for the most part, even when I was getting my master's degree, uh, we learned like even how to build an electronic database and, and how to make it super effective and all of that. And that makes me a little bit sad because I know how many, how much time, especially from second to like sixth grade, our teachers emphasized how to follow the rules of the Dewey Decimal System and then even in college of looking for books and like, oh, it's 8.837.5 T as opposed to 837.5 TH and going through all it's, that stuff. It's still the Dewey Decimal System. Right. Absolutely. It's not as much fun now. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, you you just get a lot more results than having to sift through the, the little, uh, the river of paper cuts. So I think we're going to have to have a better understanding of your library and journey is how you decided to become a teacher in the first place. I, I know um, that you've taught literature <laughs> and you've taught theater and debate and again, everything that's found on your LinkedIn profile. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually became a teacher because I wanted to be an actor and I uh, definitely triple majored in college with theater, communication and education. And teaching was like my backup plan because of course, you know, bright starry eyed uh, child going to college. I was like, I'm gonna be an actor, an artiste. I'm going to express myself and, you know, connect with people on the people level and make them connect with their subconscious in ways they've never thought things before or, you know, very uh, <laughs> philosophical and all that. But then I realized, well, to be an actor in, at least in this area, you really either have to relocate to a place where there's more showbiz opportunities, or you have to do it as like a second job if you want to survive. So then I started focusing more on teaching in like the second half of my undergrad and the education aspects. Um, so I went into teaching with the thought of, oh, I'll teach during the day and week, and then I'll get to perform in the evenings and weekends. And then I found out that teaching is just like 80 hours a week and you don't get to do anything fun. Well, I mean, being with students and inspiring them to become actors and thespians. I feel or... like <laughs> it's a lot easier to inspire people when you're doing it. Because I mean, I, I love performing and I still do. And, uh, you know, that's how I got involved at Oklahoma City Improv. Um, I really enjoy sharing that passion with people. And that's an opportunity for me to still do that, even though I'm not like in a public school or a private school or like a, a you know, <laughs> a traditional school. Fine. We'll, we'll skip all this other talk and go straight to the fun stuff. Uh <laughs> We're going to talk about OKC Improv, but I know there's a lot of people that have this improv experience that have been on the podcast or that will be on the podcast. So I don't want to only talk about the stuff that I'm interested in. Um, we're going to pretend like we care about other parts of your life. Um, <laughs> so I understand you're also employed at the Actor Factory or kind of, employed, just... kind of t um, taking classes and stuff. Yeah, I was uh, the improv teacher for the Young Performers Academy for like four or five years. I actually am just ending that uh, now so that I have more time for wedding planning. Um, so I, I realized having four jobs is probably not the best thing in the world when you like have things that you need to do. Um, so I had to choose a, a couple things to take off my plate so that I can spend more time investing in my personal life. And the way you said it, you're not taking on wedding planning as another career opportunity you're doing that for a specific other reason that's up to you whether you want to share or not uh yes you know uh relationships in life are important yeah. <laughs> invest in them yeah uh, sounds like a lot of work i almost sound like being a teacher or something all right so i mentioned it earlier but you're represented by the magna talent agency yeah uh just for, uh, I, was, so I was scrolling through that and looking at the different things on there. And I, I have to say, I'm almost offended by some of the statistics that they keep on the people. Like, um, you know, height, I understand, hair color, eye color. But then it has like your weight, your bust, your waist and stuff like that. I'm like, I get it, but that seems kind of wrong at the same time. But 
that's not actually what I was curious about. I was just saying that felt weird reading that, but I guess I'm not right. a talent scout, but how do you get involved if someone, not me, but wanted to be represented because of their talented and everything, how would they get that? Do they just go like, Oh, we want to represent you. Here's $5 million. <laughs> There's a lot of different avenues for getting representation and it kind of depends on what sort of performing art you're in um there's a couple like rules of thumb to know whether or not they're like professional versus like a scam because there are definitely scam agents out there um for one thing when you're looking for an agent make sure that you are not paying them up front or like a monthly fee to be your agent um real talent agents will only be paid on jobs that they book you and it's usually like a percentage of your compensation and that's um, just like a really good rule of thumb when you're looking for an agent. But in order to get an agent in most places, you need to have something already that proves that you're in the industry. So um, if you are completely starting like brand spanking, fresh, new face actor, I would say um, find like gigs that don't pay, like that they, they, they pay you in food, like college projects, film festivals, that sort of thing to like get your toes wet uh, and to network with people in the industry so that you can start filling out at least the semblance of a resume. Like, oh yeah, you know, last year I did this, that, and the other thing. Uh, so, you know, here's some clips from that, like a demo reel. Um, right now the standard is two minutes for a demo reel, but let's be real. They really probably only look at about the first 15 seconds and then they move on to the next one. Um, everything is self-tape now uh, in this post-apocalyptic world. So another big thing is if you're able to, investing in equipment um, for those auditions that you're booking, um, investing in yourself, like getting good headshots. I mean, you can get your friend to just take a nice picture of you, but is that going to book you auditions? Maybe, maybe not. So like, it's kind of a little bit of experimentation in the sense that, you know, you're not quite sure yet if you're new, what will work for you, but definitely making sure you have at least some experience you can put down on paper and um, making sure you have a headshot. And right now a demo reel is really important if you're going to be an actor. And if you want to be a voice actor, you also need like a, a demo reel of your voice, right? Um, different clips of different types of voices that you can do. Impressions are fine, but really like character voices um, and, and things that show your range in both of those. However, we did get a, in an interesting conversation. I want to say it was about eight months ago where we were talking about accents and that you had a tendency to speak specifically in British, but also other accents and stuff. And then you wouldn't even realize you were in the accent. Whereas I'm like, I'm British or something. <laughs> and like, oh, am I too British today? And that's like my, that's my extent of my British accent. And then you'd be like, oh, I've been speaking British this whole time. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. So my undergrad is in theater, as you know, uh, and I took two classes that were very specific to voice for acting. Um, the first one was learning the international phonetic alphabet and learning to have a true Western neutral, which is kind of like a, a requirement in the acting world, like being able to have an accentless voice whenever you're doing anything, whether it's film or theater or voice acting, being able to keep that true Western neutral is, is very important. And then the second class I took was in accents and dialects specifically. So I've been cast in a lot of roles because I'm good at doing accents like I did a local film project where I was an Irish mob boss <laughs> um, I was in a film adaptation of looking for Alaska where I played this character named Lara who is from Romania and uh, I recently was in Sherlock Holmes uh, a theatrical version um, and I had a British accent for that well I actually did two two British dialects for that because I was playing two different characters and one was more like um, posh RP British and the other was more like closer to Cockney but like a character that didn't want people to know she was Cockney so it was kind of a, a colored accent uh, with a little bit of the the more <laughs> I guess standard British and a little bit more of the the Cockney so yeah 
Yeah, I can do like three different versions of Texan. Uh, we have <laughs> Eastern Texan, Western Texan, and Northern Texan. They also call that third one Oklahoman. So um, it's worth a try. I mean, not every not every <laughs> joke hits. Now you have I have actually seen part of your uh, waiting for Alaska, your Romanian accent because I watched the two minute and two second clip that's on Magnetella Agency. It's like I'm not going to go and watch everybody else's though, but you should definitely everybody should go to magnetellaagency.com and check out Palace Johnson's. I think it's clip. also on YouTube too. If you just look up Palace Actor Reel, it's probably on there. Well, Palace is a very common name, so I'm not, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> In fact, did you ever find out why why you were named Palace, or was it just like something when you were eighteen? You're like, I'm going to be called Palace now. And oh no, no, I was I was uh, I was born with the name Palace. My parents were hippies. Um, my father had decided before uh, I was even born whether I was a boy or a girl. It was going to be my name. It's Greek. Uh, palace. The the palace I was named after is Palace Athena, the Greek goddess. And, uh, yeah, my name shows up all over the place in literature and art. And uh, there's a palace cat, which is a wild cat with really funny, goofy faces. So if you've never looked up palace cat, do it just because its face is hilarious. Very photogenic in the weirdest way possible. And uh, the second asteroid ever discovered was named Palace. Oh, wow. That's actually pretty cool. The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe has my name in it three whole times. So when people are like, oh, I've never heard your name. I'm like, yeah, you probably did your sophomore year of high school, but that's fine. <laughs> so I'm looking at a palace cat right now and I'm scared. So I'm going to go back to this other <laughs> subject. All right. So probably the real reason why everybody is listening to this episode, because everybody's like, oh, librarian's cool, but whatever. You have, so the way I've gotten, I actually met you. Um, unofficially was through email when my daughter first enrolled in online classes for OKCI, Oklahoma City Improv. And she was in an online class that got canceled like the day before classes started, which made me very sad. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know you at all for almost, the I would say, three quarters of a year before I finally got to meet you in person when I started taking classes. And the reason why I got to contact you via email is because you are the education director for Oklahoma City Improv. And I think you've been doing that for about three and a half years now. Yeah, uh, I've been doing improv professionally for 12. Um, but yes, so at OKCI, I've been the education director there for about three, three and a half. So what exactly does an ed I mean, I know because I talk to you all the time and you're like, Goodness, <laughs> it's so cool that somebody's interested. But seriously, Mike, you have issues. Um, but for everybody else that doesn't know what an education director does, I mean, does improv need an education director? Isn't that an oxymoron? You know, it's like practicing, um, being spontaneous, like education director for improv. So what does an education director do? Or at least what do you do as an education director? Sure. So um, a big part of our theater is classes. Um, so improv is an art form and like any other art form, you've got to learn the foundations and all of the different like parts of it. And um, uh, the main part of it is learning how to kind of rediscover, if you're an adult, rediscover that creative, imaginative side of yourself that a lot of people kind of lose in adulthood. Um, the part of, of being a kid, the part of being at play. And so a lot of the classes are, are helping people rediscover and be willing to be vulnerable in those moments of creativity and imagination. And so, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. That takes a lot. And then also improv kind of rewires your brain to be more positive because you're looking for, and this is so cliche, everyone knows the number one rule of improv is yes and, but it's really teaching you to like re- shift your perspective to see things in a more positive light so like if you are constantly kind of a negative person and really down on yourself or on others like improv kind of rewires your brain to see like different perspectives and see the good in things and and see like the funny and see the game and um it just it takes a little bit to get there so um we've got classes and then you can kind of specialize in improv there's lots of different forms um, short form and long form are like the two main facets of that. And um, so the classes, what my job is, is coordinating all of them. Um, so our theater has 
usually two to three classes a night, Monday through Thursday. And then we have like six-ish classes on Saturdays and a couple classes on Sundays. And so my job is making sure that we're, you know, (laughs) coordinating all of those and have teachers for all of those and teaching assistants and that we have, you know, space for all of them and, uh, you know, hiring those teachers and also coordinating with uh, students if they have any questions, comments, concerns. I'm like the point of contact. So like, for example, I think this last term we had 157 students, give or take, um, which is, you know, a lot of people that (laughs) have my email and contact me quite frequently for different reasons. And so I'm able to, you know, kind of coordinate all of that, keep track of the student handbook and, um, you know, policy and all of that. The boring parts of, of improv and coordination, uh, I, I guess. I don't know if I'd call it boring. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it boring. Uh, now, is that 157 unique people or is it people like me who um, might be enrolled in too many classes this semester? <laughs> it might be people that are uh, in multiple classes, yeah. But, you know, it's it's fine. Like it's, it's, there's not that many people that, that co-enroll in multiple. Cause I mean, we're most of us adults and have lives that are very busy. And, uh, especially if they're like advanced improvisers, a lot of times they're in troops. And so they may have rehearsals or practices already that take up some of their time. So, um, it just kind of depends on the person, but yeah, that, I mean, so it, that's why I said, give or take it, it, it might be closer to like 130 individuals. Yeah, and then there's people like me who don't have a life, so we just are at OKCI six or seven days a week. Um. I would say that's passionate and interested in the art form. Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with that. Um, So can you, I know you can because you're amazing, but would you be willing to kind of talk about maybe the structure of what OKC Improv, like how the education system is intended to go? And if you're able to maybe not naming out other theaters or anything, but like how that might be different or similar to all improv class structures, if that makes sense. Um, You know, every, every theater kind of has their own structure. Um, At our theater, we start with short form and we find it's just a lot easier to get people directly into play and um, to have that really that structure that it provides so it's a lot of like gamey improv like where you have very strict um rules if you will uh within to play um it's kind of if you don't know anything about improv it's kind of hard to explain it so like without technical terms i guess so i'm trying my best to (laughs) make it easy to understand i'll make Um, it a little bit easier for you if you say something technical i'll question you on it and you can try to explain the technical but go ahead and be technical and i'll be your (laughs) i'll be your vcr manual um but yeah so like level one is really just returning to play kind of rediscovering the fun um and and being with people finding your energy and you know it's also very therapeutic for a lot of people it's not therapy but it's therapeutic and so it's um a moment for you to just kind of unwind and be yourself like outside of the general constructs of society which is why a lot of people will take improv classes and um it also helps build confidence and people that like need to practice public speaking, maybe they're in leadership positions at work and they're just not comfortable with it. And so that's really what level one is like, kind of the conglomeration of all different walks of life meeting and sharing each other's like minds in the moment. And then level two is just building on that. Um, It's like intermediate short form is kind of what we call it. Um, And it's kind of taking that foundation that we've built and making it a little bit more focused. So why are you making that choice? Um, What would happen if you did this instead? And so you've discovered the play and now you're, you're kind of changing it to be more interesting, I guess, like specific chosen, like making those knowledge choices. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying this because it's the first thing that popped in my head. I'm saying this because it makes sense in the scene. Right. And one of the things for those listening, uh, short form is probably best known worldwide through whose line is it anyway, that started with the BBC, which I watched all the time and I didn't even know that was improv until much later. That's makes me sad. So apparently I was a fan of improv before I knew what it was. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's a common thing. Actually, a lot of people are fans of improv and have no idea what it is. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but go ahead and continue. Yeah, so our level three is uh, two-person scenes, really focusing in on the relationships between the two people. Because, like, you really focus on the funny in the, the beginning because that's what you feel like you're there for. Like, haha, I'm a comedian now. Um, but then it's like, well, what is what is comedy but truth, truth and comedy? And, and how do you feel for these characters without making them real? Uh, you have to create relationships. And so it's a lot of two-person scene work and then um i think we touch on laronde a little bit in level three as well and then uh level four is like intermediate long form <laughs> a lot of group scenes and um kind of connecting the the dots and then we we end with like kind of a a herald stepbrother for level five it's not a traditional herald it's very similar to one but it's it's got a little bit different uh construction and it, we mostly use it to kind of put together everything that they've learned in levels one through four um so it's got the the game aspect and the relationship of the two-person scenes and the group games and all of that so that's kind of our main level system and then we have a bunch of advanced classes we got musical improv we got narrative you know we got we got all the things You've got all the things. Yeah, that's that's all that matters is all the things. All the things. <laughs> and we bring in people from out of town, especially now that we're finally uh, being able to kind of do things again in other places. Uh, we've already got several out of town people coming in soon to do some workshops and that sort of thing too. Like stage combat. Yeah. So stage <laughs> combat's happening right now. I've learned how to punch without punching or without hurting too many people other than myself um at least that was the first class by this time the by the time this comes out of course the class will be finished so please enroll to the next class of stage combat everybody <laughs> <laughs> so you have been in take one productions specifically for just shy of 11 years i believe if i have my or at i least think so uh november correct. of 2011 i think is whenever i officially joined yeah and take one travels all across the country uh, mostly convention uh, like comic convention or i say comic conventions that's how i understand it but conventions similar to comic conventions and you guys do some other traveling i believe as well and you're like actually a paid performer who goes across the world and shows people improv and sketch and some other stuff right yeah yeah so, so uh like this year we've been to uh colorado new mexico texas louisiana arkansas I mean, Oklahoma, obviously. Uh, so we've been to several states already this year. But yeah, so we do all sorts of different types of conventions. Um, uh, Sci-fi conventions, Comic-Cons, um, anime conventions are probably our bread and butter, uh, mostly because we have voice actors in our troupe, and so we get hired at a lot of anime cons. Um, we have several people that work for Crunchyroll, which used to be uh, also Funimation. Um, and so we've got uh, a pretty big network of people that hire us um, for improv, but also for the voice actors. And so um, we, we go, you know, before the pandemic, probably 15 conventions a year. Um, and we've been hired a lot for private parties too. We've done like weddings and birthdays and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, it's really fun when we're at a convention, we usually have, I guess what they call guest star status. So we are in the green room with all of these other niche celebrities that anybody outside of the world of nerddom, uh, would not have necessarily heard of or know. So that's kind of cool to meet um, what some people call celebrities and to, I guess, be one myself, question mark. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's always a crazy time. We do all sorts of shows and workshops. And um, like I usually teach an Improv 101 workshop or like an Embrace Your Inner Nerdiness workshop or, you know, uh, and then just have fun and play with my teammates, some of which I've been performing with for 11 years, which is great. We're like, you know, family. And it, I, I know I've looked at a couple of the schedules of the different conventions that you guys do, and you guys are on stage, or at least portions of, because I know you guys have a big group, but it seems like you guys are on stage almost the whole time from the time the con starts to um, whenever it ends at the end. 
Yeah, they work us. <laughs> <laughs> they make sure we're we're uh, getting we're getting their money's worth uh, put into our schedule. But yeah, but it's fun, right? And I will say, as a troop, take one. Like we consistently rehearse three hours a week every single week, mm-hmm. um, which some troops don't rehearse that often. And but we want to make sure that we're always at the top of our game, so that when we go to do these shows, you know, people are getting the entertainment that they expect. And part of that three hour rehearsal is also kind of learning the endurance of a con. Like, you know, we, we may have to do three or four shows in one day, which is a lot of energy, a lot of running around. I mean, I always hit 10,000 steps a day when I go to cons, Um, (laughs) but it's, it's fun and it's exhilarating and um, con crowds are always great because they're there because they're passionate and excited about whatever their fandom is. And so they're already high energy. Most of them are in cosplay um, and they're just there to have a good time and they're able to be them themselves in you know they may not be able to do that whenever they go back to their jobs or whatever so it's it's a time for people to you know have fun and let loose and we're you know just one of many types of entertainment that are at conventions but I think one thing that we specialize in is the fact that we have so many personal fandoms ourselves and so we can relate to the different um you know things that whatever the crowd is we're performing for whatever they're interests are we usually can like throw those little tidbits into our comedy and make it like more interesting and exciting for them because they're like oh my gosh i get that reference yeah uh allison who's also in take one i don't remember what i was in with her it was like, i think it was the festivus workshops and she mentioned something and i'm like i have no idea what that is and she's like oh well then you just need to watch this 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 and i'm like <laughs> yeah more stuff um but if you get it it's great right and then if you don't like me and you're just like man i feel old and out of the loop well and that's Uh, why as i said like there's so many different types of conventions so like i'm my niche is more like the sci-fi fantasy like whenever we perform there's a convention in louisiana called SciFiCon, and it's a science fiction convention right um so they usually have actors there from like battlestar galactica or star trek or game of thrones and so like that's more my niche so like whenever i'm performing there I have like my own little fan club because they think it's hilarious that I get the references to whatever these, you know, fandoms are. But when we're at an anime convention, I'm a little more out of my element because most of the anime knowledge I have is from when I was in high school, which I'm old now. And so um, I have to like brush up on it or at least know like surface level enough to like make references but I may not be as knowledgeable so some other people like Allison would be more uh you know in her niche at like an anime con um and so it's just kind of like we know where our strengths are and and how to kind of play to those audiences right all right so that is definitely something that I think as I get older I I Meredith always has the struggle because I'm like, you know, if you just figure out what you're good at, everything, <laughs> then you just concentrate on that. And so you guys knowing your strengths and stuff, going into cons, going into various settings and stuff, that has to make it a little bit easier on how you put sets together and everything with that. Um, I mean, yes and no. Like we play all the normal well i mean we we've made up some of our own games that are specific to take one but we play we're short form troops so we're kind of like whose line is it anyway but we actually play what we call schlong form which is like a little bit of a, a hybrid between the two um but yeah so like it it doesn't matter we know all the games um we know the structures of the games so it's just our personal character choices or our references or like um you know, like it's how we play the game. It's not mm. what the game is that makes it unique. Um, there is one game that we used to play a lot at conventions that I really loved, which was called Sub versus Dove. Uh, because, you know, if you're watching an anime, it might be subbed over or oh, dubbed yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, it was just kind of like a gibberish game. But that was a game that was we specifically made to play with the audience because they understand the concept of like subbing and dubbing and so it was a really fun you know game that we played uh for many many years because we knew that it would you know that the fans would get a kick out of it 
So the way you're saying that, it sounds like you don't do that game as often anymore. We have not played it in a while. It's a very long game. And oh, okay. I think we just kind of like shortened our, uh, kind of like our, <laughs> in theater, it's called like internal cues, I guess. Um, but uh, <laughs> we're just not, uh, we don't do as many long games as we used to. Um, and it also could be because maybe we got sick of it. I don't know. We played them pre-pandemic. We haven't played them this year, but that doesn't mean it's not coming back. Because I think you guys play a version of that now. Maybe not the, where, or maybe it's something similar where someone else is speaking for the person's talking and you have to match your mouth, to, uh, lip sync basically to someone else's voice. Yeah, so that's He Said, She Said, uh, which is another one of our, I think it's a Take One original. I could be wrong. Um, but it's actually one of my favorite games to play mm -hmm. because um, one of us will be talking for another person and there's four people on stage. So everyone is talking for someone else that's on stage. And so you're not only having to like perform physically, you also have to match your like physicality with whoever's voicing you, but you also have to be voicing someone else. So it's a very intense, very like, uh, you know, I guess advanced game is a good word for it. Um, but it's it's a blast. It's fun. It's challenging. And the audience is like always dumbfounded by the right. <laughs> the process. I, I, have a, I have a theory that I'm just coming up with about right now, though it seems to match with some of the stuff that we're talking about. Would you say short form in a sense is kind of like the NASCAR of uh, the arts? where everybody kind of wants to see the people crash, but they want to do it spectacularly. Like it's almost like you're supposed to fail. You're not, your goal is not to fail, but the audience seems to enjoy it more whenever there's a huge failure. I feel like that's just improv in general. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> I mean, when you fail, that's comedy gold because, um, you know, like you don't, you, when you go to a comedy show, you don't want to see everyone do everything perfect. You want to see the wheels come off. Like, that's part of the fun. That's part of the energy. So it, sometimes it makes it difficult to, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Not do be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said it was NASCAR. I made like, a wheels uh, falling off reference. Uh, I don't know. I'm not generally a NASCAR <laughs> fan. That's why I was kind of curious. Uh, though I enjoy short form to watch a lot, um, as well as long form if it's done well. Um, well, and there's a weird dichotomy in the improv world. A lot of people kind of poo-poo their head at short form because they think it's, like, not true art or they think because a lot of beginners do it, it's not, like, good or interesting or because, like, mostly those are the ones that get paid money to do because that's what the general populace knows improv as gotcha. or wants to see. Um, but it, it's so interesting because I think when short form is done right, it can be, like, super fun and interesting to watch like as an art form um i think it's just that a lot of the games that are like mainstream are not really the most interesting to watch right they're more like exercises for learning improv until you get your training wheels off i know short form is a lot easier to relate to as an audience member uh because i mean if long form it, I, I won't say all long form but a good chunk of long form if it's done really well then the audience can still connect it with it if they have no background in improv and no um but i know even the first few shows that i watched live it was very like uh, okay so they just started something and then now all of a sudden it's over and that seems kind of stupid and then the more you watch like oh okay they're purposely trying to end the scenes early and then it's like okay now i can kind of now especially going through classes and stuff i have a better respect for what's being done but uh, but short form, it's like everybody, partly because the rules are stated at the beginning, but everybody can just kind of like, okay, I know that we're playing the game of basketball. I know the goal is to shoot the ball through the hoop. And when they do it, we can all cheer, go, yay. And if they don't, we're like kind of something like that. I don't know. Um, I think when long form is done really well, it can be relatable. And as long as there's not too many, some, I feel like there's some long form troops that put too many constraints on the form like whatever it is that they're doing and it makes it so they they don't have the room or breath or weight to be real in the moment they're too worried about like making sure they hit this point that point and the other hmm. uh, it almost becomes too formulatic instead of like living in the moment 
Um, but I feel like people that have been doing it for a really long time, I shouldn't say that. There are some people that have done it for a really long time that aren't even necessarily good. But like, um, like just because you do something for a really long time doesn't mean you're the best at it. But I mean, like there are people that are really fantastic at creating those relationships and making the moment real and making the audience connect with them. And they can do that in seconds. Right. And, you know, short form games are short. <laughs> right. So you should be able to do the same thing there. But because of the setup of, oh, this is a game, it's a very different experience. But you can still have those relationships and those connections and make it memorable and live in the moment in a short form game. It just has to be mm -hmm. the right style of game and the right types of players. Well, no, after going through like pre-level three of what I thought short form was, like it was fun, like, oh, I'm a character, I'm, I'm pretending to be someone else or whatever. Going through level three, and as you mentioned earlier, talking about how strengthening relationships, learning how to really build those, those same games um, had a lot more value as a performer. Um, I'm not sure if the audience got more value or not, but at least going in and understanding that you're even in the short form, you're doing those relationships and stuff. It's just, um, it's a little bit more rewarding. Like, oh, all of a sudden this is actually a scene. It's not just a game. Um, and for all of those that don't understand, um, it takes three semesters to get into level three. So, uh, <laughs> totally worth it. Um, I've done level three twice, so therefore, and they didn't fail me, I promise. Um, I don't think, well, anyway. Uh, um, so there's, there are a couple of smaller things I want to talk about, but I want to give you the floor also. Is there anything specific you want to talk about, the acting journey or the improv journey or anything in those things that you can have free reign that I can ask you questions about or are you like, uh, I mean, this is you're... really irritating. Mike. I, I, I don't think you I'm can ask me whatever. Again. I'm an open book. Um, I would say, I think with any art form, just do what you're passionate about. Like, so acting is so multifaceted. There's not just one type of acting. Um, like, I mean, honestly, I love theater acting and in order to continue to do theater acting, I kind of have to continue to have a real job, uh, cause where's the money at, right? Not in theater, but, um, you know, film acting, I love it, but I love theater more because I like the live audience. I love creating in the moment. I love the energy that is established in the moment of sharing the space with the audience, um, and with improv, it's a whole nother level of that where it's this thing that is happening right now. This is the only time this thing is ever going to happen in the world. And this is the moment and the audience is there to witness this once in a lifetime moment. And that's just so very interesting to me and so fascinating. And I, I love it. I think that it's a really important moment in anybody's lives. So if you ever get a chance to see an improv show, if you haven't seen one, like think about the fact that, Hey, what you're watching right now is never going to happen again. And uh, you were there to witness it, good or bad, you know, pass or fail, whatever you want to say. Um, but that moment is is real and in the moment and, and you are present for it. And that's a really cool thing. So one of the so one of the things um, not out of it was technically probably still as education director, but it's um, probably the first story I heard about you uh, ever was uh, Larry and um Dave, uh, they were my level one class with me and they'd met you through the actor factory. Um, I think it was during voiceover work or something. And they're like, Oh yeah, palace, uh, told us like, you gotta do improv or they said it probably in a more crude way, but like, you know, Oh yeah, if you want to do acting, you have to do improv. And so, um, very much enjoy, um, talking with them and, um, and other aspects and stuff and just really seeing how improv has helped open up some doors and just really get some of their inner actor out. So even if you're not wanting to necessarily be an improv actor, uh, it does help out with a lot of other things. And I think you're the one that recommended the book by Jenna Fisher to them. Is that correct? I think an that was wife. actually our, our, uh, our teacher, our instructor for that class uh, was the one who suggested it. Yeah. Uh, he was also uh, definitely saying, Hey, you guys should take improv if you want to be better actors. So it wasn't just me. <laughs> but since you were in the class, you're like, hey, I'm actually the education director. Yeah. And by the way, that book by Jenna Fisher is a great book. Um, uh, An Actor's Life, I think, is what it's yeah. called. And even if you don't have any idea or dreams whatsoever, it's probably a good way of seeing how most actors have to thrive. I mean, it's not just a, you get one break and you're set for life. You have to continue 
trying out multiple times, even if you're famous and have gotten paid good money for acting. But yeah, you know, there's an interview. I want to say, man, I'm so bad with actors' names. Uh, it's the you know famous one that played Captain Marvel. Uh, she was. Yeah, she was talking about how she had um, auditioned for something and, you know, she had already booked a couple big roles and she had auditioned for something and didn't get it and was just like devastated. And it's like, yeah, because you're also going against other famous people. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, like it's it's you're still always learning and growing and maybe something about you doesn't fit that role, but that doesn't mean um one who knows maybe they don't find that person or maybe something happens that person's schedule and you still get called for it because that also happens um or you know maybe that just wasn't your calling in the moment and you've got another even bigger cooler better project right around the corner i remember it was actually about 10 years ago next month i read a book by will wheaton and he talked about how he thought he just was going to definitely get this role and he was tired of trying out and then he sees Sean Astin over there. And this is right after Sean Astin had done Lord of the Rings. And he's like, man, if Sean Astin still has to try out. <laughs> he was in Rudy, Lord of the Rings, and so many different other things. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter how big you've gotten. You're, and maybe if you're Robert Downey Jr., you don't have to try out. But that's about the exception, right? <laughs> <laughs> man, I love Will Wheaton. He's one of my favorites. Uh, I'm not a Star Trek person, but he's made me at least enjoy versions of star trek like galaxy quest and orville and stuff like that oh i watch his tabletop show uh but you know (laughs) i spend all my time watching other stuff (laughs) niche niche famous people actually the way i rediscovered will wheaton was because i watched this show that's an online show called the guild Mm -hmm. and it's uh you know starring written by and uh created by felicia day who's one Mm -hmm. of my heroes in the in the acting world if you haven't ever read her biography it's also really good i've read one um she has a second one out i haven't read yet i don't know which one i've read (laughs) uh i read one of them (laughs) i don't think i knew there were two uh but yeah like so but those are the types of people that are at like conventions right so but not everyone knows who will wheaton is not everyone knows who felicia day you know those are niche celebrities um people that have seen supernatural know who felicia day is people that have seen star trek know who will wheaton is you know (laughs) probably big bang theory for the second generation of people because he was a guest star several times i think i knew that Um, yeah and I forgot about that. <laughs> when the guild came out, I think they. Oh, had... Felicia Day was also in the Magicians, so that's another, you know, fantasy. Uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, the reboot. I know she was one of the hosts for that, and I, I know when the guild first came out. I think my wife and I were playing World of Warcraft um, competitively, and there's like two or three episodes at that point, and then we were watching an episode of House, and all of a sudden she was in there. Like, oh my goodness, it's Felicia Day. We were we were very. Um, giddy about it yeah house, she's house, house is a tv show you're young so you might not know that i've um, seen house yeah <laughs> not all of it i've seen a couple episodes she's like cranky and has a limp right you know he's he's uh like always mad about everything but solves uh crazy mystery medical issues i don't know yeah one of my he, he was actually uh so since you did sherlock holmes uh so sherlock holmes is based off of a doctor a medical doctor is how um sir arthur conan doyle created um he created what he wasn't real no no but the idea of of sherlock holmes was created based off of a medical doctor who was very precise and so he thought well hey you know if this is true then what else could be true kind of thing and so he took, took that idea and put it into a detective as opposed to a surgeon so house is a callback to basically taking sherlock holmes and putting him back in the medical profession and so you know house has a um a painkiller addiction um and especially before the new Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch came out. This was like even cooler because, you know, um, again, Benedict Cumberbatch wasn't famous at this point. So it was like the closest thing to what Sir Arthur Conan Doyle really wanted out of Sherlock. I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. So that's, that's awesome. It is awesome. No, (laughs) (laughs) um, let's see. Well, there was another thing I was going to mention that you, and I forgot now. Thanks a lot, Palace. Talking about yeah, yourself, and I can't fault. remember something else about yourself. I, I shouldn't have brought up Felicia Day. That's what happened. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm glad. I mean, uh, people need to know that there's people like Felicia Day out there and people like Palace Johnson and several other up-and-coming ladies that can help 
make the world better and stuff by the stuff they bring to the table. I mean that seriously, not sarcastically, because, again, House is my hero, so I have to watch out with the sarcasm sometimes. Um, <laughs> all right, so if you have listened to The Wonderful Palace and you're like, man, I want to see Palace in action, she's very active in the local theater. In the past year, she's been in Sherlock Holmes. She's been in Little Women. Um, she's uh, active in the con circuit, so even if you're not in Oklahoma, there are plenty of conventions specifically like in the late or i guess technically it's early spring but from march yeah con (laughs) season's kind of like march through july i guess but they have cons in different times too i've done like a new year's eve con a couple Mm -hmm. times and like one on halloween i don't know they have them at different times uh and then if you want to see her do improv um take one performs usually about once a month at oklahoma city improv you'd have to check okci um or okcimprov.com to see the show schedule. You're also in Fem Squad, so definitely go check the Oakland City Improv <laughs> website. Uh, you're also just made um, the house team for uh, both uh, the musical short form mixtape, I believe, and um, it's then... uh, it's actually a Herald musical. Oh really? Uh, yeah. So mixtape is a drop-in show for anyone who does musical improv, but the Herald house team. There's a Herald musical, which I'm in, and there's also a Herald conservatory house team that I'm in. So yeah, <laughs> I'm doing two Heralds now. Yeah, that's, and that's amazing. And, and not that everybody at our, and I have to say every single teacher I've had, I've absolutely loved. There has not been a teacher I have not loved, even though one of them I didn't understand the first time. And then the second time I really enjoyed her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have biases. I'm, I'm working on it. Well, Pellis, thank you so much for being willing to be interviewed for this podcast. Uh, I'm really glad that um, you'll be that, or I'm really glad to have gotten the opportunity to interview you for the podcast. And thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Once again, I want to thank Pellis for being our guest to come and talk about life. And as for you out there, I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you for taking the time to listen. You are important, you are loved and cared for. No matter who you are, where you come from, or what you've done, you have value. Nobody's a nobody, and that means you. Until next time.